I really didn't want to let go of it. You know, that's all I knew. We decided to sell it and just move on with our lives. And it was probably the scariest moment of my life. It was more than a financial loss. It was a personal loss for me. A welcome to Career Relaunch, the podcast dedicated to helping you reinvent your career. My name is Joseph Liu, and I'm here to help you gain the clarity, confidence, and courage to overcome the challenges of making changes to your career so you can do more meaningful work and truly enjoy your professional life. In each episode, I feature people who have decided to step off the beaten path to reinvent their careers and do work that matters. We talk through their unique personal stories, the challenges they overcame, and the lessons they learned along the way to help you understand what it takes to relaunch your own career. Today, my guest is going to share his story of relaunching his career from running a family restaurant in New York City to becoming a realtor in Las Vegas. We'll talk about the emotions of walking away from your career and the barriers that stop you from moving on. Afterwards, I'll address a listener question about balancing practicality with aspiration. Before we get started today, I wanted to let you know I'm hosting my next virtual fireside chat on Thursday, April 29th on managing the emotions of changing careers. I'll be joined by special guest Sophie Scott, a leading voice in well-being and founder of Balance, the UK's award-winning wellness media brand. Now, if you're a longtime listener, you may remember Sophie from this show in 2019 when she shared her own career journey as an aspiring actress turned founder turned psychotherapist. During this one-hour live Q&A discussion, you can ask anything you want about the emotions of changing careers and also connect with other Career Relaunch podcast listeners around the world. Some of the topics we're going to try to tackle include how to manage the common stages of career change, handle the judgments of others, overcome imposter syndrome, and how to deal with all the uncertainty and stress that inevitably comes up when you're relaunching your career. You can register to join the free event at careerrelaunch.net slash 214. Four two nine. Space is limited to the first 50 people who register. And again, you can register at careerrelaunch.net slash 21429. Okay, on to today's show. Today, I'm speaking with Yusuf Salame, who was born and raised in New York City. He and his mother, originally from Lebanon, built a successful restaurant brand there named Wafa's. And for 11 years, the restaurant did really well, featured at the top of most major publications' food lists. But eventually, they had to close down their restaurant, and in early 2020, Yusuf, his wife, and daughters moved across the U.S. to Las Vegas to launch Wafa's there. But then the pandemic hit, and Yusuf dropped his plans to open a restaurant there and decided to instead pursue a completely different interest of his, real estate. Now, I decided to have Yusuf on the show because his story is one that you might be able to relate to. Sometimes we invest a lot into one path in our career, and even when we know we're not completely happy, we just keep hanging on. But as Yusuf is going to describe, sometimes when the writing's on the wall, you just have to change course. You can get all the show notes from today's episode at careerrelaunch.net slash 73. Yusuf spoke with me from Las Vegas. Yusuf, hello. Thank you very much for joining me on Career Relaunch today. It is great to have you on the show. Thank you, Joseph. It's great to be here. All right. So we got a lot to cover today. We got to talk about your time working in the restaurant industry and then what you're up to right now as a realtor. Could you just start us off by telling me a little bit about what you've been focused on in your career and your life? Well, as of late, I've just been focused on the real estate industry as a whole. 
getting to know the ins and outs of it. For me, the real estate industry is a people business. It's a business that I've always been in the people business, whether it was cooking for people and now finding people homes. I'm extremely grateful that I have time to spend with my wife and daughters now, which I didn't have much of before. How many daughters do you have and how have things been going for them with everything going on with the pandemic? I have two girls. One's going to be six next week and one is going to be 10 in August. It's been tough on them. They take it well on the surface, but as a parent, I feel it's my job to notice the little things that are not the same anymore. I mean, don't forget, they're not really socializing. They have like maybe two or three friends from the neighborhood over here that they uh, get together with. But overall, I feel like children really need to be in a setting with multiple children on a daily basis. Yeah, for sure. I think when we spoke before I mentioned you, I've also got a young daughter, she's three, and it runs through my head every day, this balance of trying to get her to socialize, but also trying to make sure she's staying safe and not socializing, which is a really hard balance to strike. It's an impossible situation. It is. Well, we are going to come back and we're going to talk about your time as a realtor. I know that you recently moved to Las Vegas also. So we're going to talk about that transition. And what I'd like to do is first of all, go back in time and talk about your time way back in the day before you became a realtor and you were working in the restaurant business. So would you mind just taking us back in time and telling us a little bit about your time in New York? New York's my home. I'm uh, born and raised there. I'm a New Yorker living in Vegas now. I come from, from a family where it was the mother and her four kids, basically. My mother used to always cook these big, elaborate meals and invite friends and family over. And everybody would tell her, hey, why don't you open a restaurant? And she'd be like, nah. So one day, we were in the furniture business before the restaurant business, my family and I. You know, all those big box stores came along and, you know, it got very competitive. So my mother was saying, how do you feel about opening a restaurant with me? I said, you know what? Let's give it a shot. So we started in a, I call it the closet. We were cooking up shawarmas and falafels on electric stove. That's how small this place was. And we should probably mention a little bit about your background. So you're Lebanese and you mentioned to me before, your mother is originally from Lebanon. Can you tell me a little bit about her journey into opening up her first restaurant and what that was like for her as an immigrant into the United States. And this first location was based in Queens, right? It was. You know, I was very proud of her because at that point, she had never done anything without my father. And then she just up and decided and said, hey, instead of going to him, she came to her eldest son, which was me. And she was like, how do you feel about this? I said, if you're ready, I'm ready. For her, it was amazing. I basically ran the place. I did learn to cook along the way, but I still cannot cook like her. I mean, she is, even when she comes to visit me here in Vegas, like she'll just cook for weeks and just put them in the freezer for me because, you know, she was here over the summer and I just finished her last batch of meat pies a couple of days ago. It was amazing. And can you just give a glimpse into what it's like to start a restaurant? Because I'm just thinking so many people out there, they start restaurants, but you never really understand what is involved with 
literally opening the doors on the first day. How did you guys find a place and how did you create the kitchen? Like what, what was involved with that? Cause I'd imagine that was a pretty complex process. Well, that first little location wasn't complex at all. It was literally done in under two weeks. We outgrew that place in under two years. We literally had people sitting on the outside on the sidewalk on tables. They bring their own chairs just to make sure there was room for them. Like it was nuts. And then, you know, the city started coming and warning us like, hey, you can't do this. So we had to close up shop there. But we found a place just two blocks away, which was a full service restaurant. At this point, we had some experience, we thought, and we jumped in with both feet. Now, with this place, setting up a kitchen, it's very intricate. It's very important to the flow of things. You have to have it set up in a way where you start at A, and you move in a certain direction to B, C, D, E, F, and G. And G is basically where you send the food out. Everything has to be laid out because you're working on a system. You're like a clock. In addition to that, you have to make sure your, your health codes are up to code. You have to make sure your fire department codes are up to code. And I mean, there's so many moving parts. And that's kind of the job that I took on, worrying about everything but the cooking. And obviously, like when we were short staffed, I became the jack of all trades. I, I would help my mother cook. I would wait tables. I would wash dishes if I have to, you know, it just turns into a thing where if you want to be successful, you have to do anything. You're not too good to do any job. So you're working with your mother on this restaurant. I can tell it's already a, quite an intensive process to be running a restaurant. Your restaurant's called Wafa's, right? Yes. You guys have a location in Queens. You eventually open up another one in Brooklyn. Can you give just a snapshot of what a typical day is like for you? And I'm especially curious about this, Yusuf, because I'm also thinking about just waking up in the morning. And this is kind of unique because you're not working with a random set of people. You're actually working with your family. And so what was that like for you? Can you just take me through a typical day? Well, a typical day for me is waking up at 7 a.m., having breakfast, coffee, seeing my family for maybe an hour, and then rushing out the door. My first stop would be Restaurant Depot because I refuse to, well, we refuse as a team, my mother and I, to use any purveyors because we like to go pick out our own meats and produce ourselves. So that would be my first stop. From there, once I'm finished there, I would go straight to the restaurant and start setting up for the day. And that was basically pre-opening, you know, there's a lot of prep that goes into your day before you even open the doors. There's produce prep, there's meat prep, there's the kitchen prep, there's all the extra little bottles you have to fill up and, and pita you have to have ready. And no, it wasn't easy working with my family because at one point, my brothers wanted to be involved in this. I mean, we're family. You want to be involved? Sure, come on in. But trust me, it was probably the hardest thing ever but at the same time, the most amazing thing ever to be able to work with my mother and my two brothers in one business. What in particular makes that especially challenging? I can kind of speculate. I'm trying to just imagine if I was working with my own family on a business, I can imagine the complications involved with that. But what was the most difficult part of working with somebody who's part of your family? Well, being that your family, you're obviously very familiar with each other you think that you can just say, this is going to be the way it's going to be, and that's it. Obviously, no one's taking that answer. There was a lot of back and forth. There was a lot of 
behind the scenes animosity at times. But the best thing about working with family is that you do know each other so well. When it's crunch time, it's like a fine-tuned machine when we were all there together. It just moved perfectly, flowed perfectly. All the customers were happy. And uh, our dining room, even though it was full and we had people outside, the tables were turning over fast enough. Obviously, there were a lot of arguments, <laughs> but that happens with families at, uh, around the holidays, too. So we had the holidays all the time. <laughs> 24-7, right. Okay, so you mentioned flow, Yusuf. So things are flowing for you guys. You got your Wafa's original location in Queens. You guys are opening up. Uh, you opened up another one in Brooklyn. Sounds like things are going really well. I know when we spoke before, you guys even got some great press coverage. What ended up happening over time for you in, in the restaurant industry? We did get some amazing press coverage. We had the New York Times in there a couple of times. We were Michelin recommended like four years in a row. We had uh, New York Magazine multiple times. We had ABC News came in and did an actual like piece on us called Neighborhood Eats. So we were very, very successful. And it was great because we did it together. We did it as a family. But over time, what I noticed was happening was my life turned into the restaurant and vice versa. And the restaurant was my life. I was a young man and, you know, I have a family and I'm unable to be with my family because the rigors of this job are just, they're just so demanding. It started getting very hard as I started getting older. I don't even see them at night. They're already asleep because I get home at 10, 11 at night. And uh, in the morning, like I said, I'll see them for half an hour and then off they go to school. So I started wanting something a little different, but the restaurant business was very familiar to me and I was very successful in the restaurant business. And I was always scared to move away from it because of basically my finances, to be honest with you. Okay. So it sounds like things are going pretty well for you. Then in 2012, Hurricane Sandy hits, which I know had a major impact on the New York City area. What impact did that end up having on Wafas? The saltwater had gotten into the train tunnels. So what happened is that New York City never does addresses anything when it happens. They wait five or six years. At this point, we just had the Brooklyn location. So they decided that uh, they were going to uh, fix the subway tunnels and the electrical components because of the saltwater situation. And of course, we were in Brooklyn. We were in front of the L train. Our shop was maybe 150 feet from the train. And that was the reason why we picked that location is because of the train and all the commuters that lived in the area. But with the train closing, there was a mass exodus out of this particular area in Brooklyn. All the working professionals left. At this point, I was pumping personal money into the place to keep it afloat. Because after you're so successful for so long, you can only be down for so long, right? I mean, or, or so I thought. I really didn't want to let go of it. You know, that's all I knew. I've been doing it for 11 years at that point. We decided to sell it and just move on with our lives. And it was probably the scariest moment of my life when I handed those keys over on October 31st, 2019. It was more than a financial loss. It was a personal loss for me. We started Wafas from a little place where 
four people could not sit in to this brand where we were known all across the city. Oh, have you been to Wafa's? Oh yeah, I love that. You know, it's like we grew from nothing to something and we did it all organically by hard work, perseverance and word of mouth. Uh, yeah, that must have been really tough. So you turn in those keys and you're leaving this restaurant that you built from nothing into something pretty huge. What was that moment like for you as you were walking away from the restaurant? Can you just take us back to that moment when you realized that this thing was over? It was monumentally sad, disappointed, obviously very angry, scared because at that point I was the breadwinner in the house. My wife had just finished her master, so she was just getting her career going. So, of course, you know, fiscal fear of not being able to provide for my children. There was just so many different emotions going through me. Thank God for the women I have around me. You know, they made me just realize that this is just a setback, and I've been so good at what I did for so long that there's no reason why I can't be good at it again or at something else. At the end of 2019, you sell Waffas. I'm imagining, okay, everything you've known is now gone. What did you do next? I uh, took a trip to Vegas <laughs> with my wife uh, and my daughters. Right. And your wife has family there, right? She does. Yeah. Her aunt's here and her cousins. It's been hard for me to get away with them. So, she said, well, how do you feel about going to Vegas right before Christmas? I said, sure, let's go. So we came. We stayed with her aunt. I rented a car. And I don't know, I was driving around one morning, and it just seemed so peaceful to me. You know, I didn't say to her right then and there, but when we got back to New York, you know, because we've been thinking of leaving New York, but I never left because of the restaurant, honestly. So, you know, I tell her, I'm like, you know, I, I can tell you this, but I could probably live in Vegas. She said, really? I was like, yeah. She said, you want to try? So what happened was we basically were just hanging out watching reruns of The Sopranos one night and we decided <laughs> to move to Vegas. That's what All happened. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then you get there early March 2020 when you were on your way over to Vegas. What did you have in mind that you were going to do when you got to Vegas professionally? My wife got here in February. I got here on March 3rd. My plans were either a brick and mortar restaurant, Wafa's Vegas, or a food truck. Food was still in the picture for me, but not even, a, what, 10 days later, the world shut down. Right. And you see what's going on with these restaurants. Anything to do with hospitality was breaking down, literally. And I felt horrible. You know, I felt horrible for these people because I felt like these people were my kinfolk almost. I just couldn't believe how bad it was for them, to be honest with you. But that was also the moment that I realized I can't do this anymore. Somebody bigger than me doesn't want me to work like that anymore or work in that industry. So I took a step back and uh, I had to reevaluate my course. So this is really interesting, Yusuf, because it sounds like it felt like the time had come to move on. And at the same time, this is all you knew for many years, the restaurant industry. So how did you then 
pick up the pieces, it sounds like you had the realization that this restaurant path is definitely not going to work, at least not right now. How did you then regroup and decide what to do next? I just took a couple of steps back because I didn't even know what to do. I was confused. <laughs> I was back to hand in the keys in 2019, basically. My plans were shattered. I really didn't think much, to be honest with you, in, in the beginning after COVID. Uh, I thought it was going to be a, that initial two-week shutdown, and then we'd be back to life. But lo and behold, that wasn't the case. What I did was take a mental break, and I had no interest in talking about work, career, or a restaurant, or anything. I had zero interest in talking about it. So what I did was, you know, maybe for two solid months, I just ate. <laughs> <laughs> Eight and watch movies, a lot of movies. <laughs> um, it was a very confusing time for me. It was a very, you know, because like, this is what I know. This is what I'm good at. This is what I've been doing for X amount of years. Now there's a big monkey wrench thrown in it. Then I just, it just dawned on me. I did mention to you previously that I was interested in real estate back in 2010. And I took that, the uh, real estate course in new york and i passed the test but of course i went back to old faithful i stayed in the restaurant business because as long as i put in the work it was guaranteed for me right and then at what point did you then feel like okay this could actually be something i want to pursue more seriously it wasn't like a solid plan for me it was like okay i'll give this a try but it wasn't like i was going to do it with all my heart and my focus because i'm used to providing i'm used to going out doing a b c and d and bringing home whatever i'm able to provide with and now i'm put in a situation where or so i thought that i've got to chase people to get things done boy was i wrong <laughs> <laughs> right so in late 2020 you okay i get that you were not maybe fully committed to this you weren't 100 percent sold on the idea of going into real estate, but you go ahead and you train to become a real estate salesperson. Can you walk me through what some of the steps were that you took to make this more formalized in your life? Well, you have to register for 90 hours, I believe it is, 90 hours of real estate courses. So I registered, but I refused to do it online. What happened was I had to wait until October of 2020 to actually walk into a classroom due to COVID. And when the classroom was open, I went in, started the course. I met some great people. And then it started, the wheel started turning. Then I started saying, okay, you know, after talking to people in the industry and seeing what they do and seeing their success and seeing that this is just about putting in the legwork. And if you put in the legwork, this is where you can get. Mostly it's a people business. So I started to get that fire under me again. And then I took the courses seriously and I studied. I even went to the extreme of, because Nevada was still locked down. So I couldn't imagine finishing my course in uh, November and then having to wait until January and February to take the test. So I said, you know what? I'm gonna drive to Utah. I wanna get this thing out of the way because you know I've got the knowledge and I know I can do it. So I drove to Utah, I took the test, I passed it, I came back and I started interviewing uh, brokerages. 
And now you're at Schofield Realty. I guess you've only been in this for a few weeks. What has it been like for you to make this transition into becoming and now being a realtor? I signed on with Schofield December 14th. Even though I've only been legally licensed for about three weeks now, Kirby, the broker at Schofield, the owner and the broker, he doesn't want you to waste time. So as soon as I signed on, I jumped into the boot camp there. So the boot camp was basically for new realtors to be more familiar with the transactions and the paperwork and the process and everything. So I jumped right into the boot camp. I got a great mentor, Mikey. He's a great guy. I'm in this thing to learn it from the ground up. And I know I'm going to make some mistakes along the way, but you know what? That's life. People make mistakes and that's how they learn. And they get no's after no after no. I feel like that's just what makes it so much better when you do get that yes. And what are you most excited about right now, Yusuf, as you look ahead to your career here as a realtor? And what are you also most concerned about? I'm definitely excited about this new career change. This is something that I never saw coming. I didn't see myself being this excited about being involved in another career, especially at 40 years old. I was just like, what am I going to do? But I'm just excited to keep meeting new people that I can help with this monumental decision that they're making in their lives. It's just such a great feeling to walk people through this process. My main concerns are things that I wouldn't be able to control that just come out of left field. Those are things I try not to worry about, to be honest with you. As far as like my career is concerned, I'm really not concerned because I know my work ethic. When I love to do something, I do it with 110% every day, all day. It's funny because it's like, if you would ask me that question, if I was in the restaurant business, I could have rattled off like 10 or 20 different concerns. <laughs> but like now it's just like, maybe I'm too early in this career to really know the pitfalls of it. But if I wake up every day and I just do my best and just keep doing the next right thing, I really shouldn't be too worried. Well, the last thing I want to talk about, Yusuf, before we wrap up here is just this topic of going into a field that you previously knew very little about and is quite a radical departure from what you were doing before. Can you put into words what the predominant emotional hurdle was that you had to get over in order to move on from your time at Wafa's? Pride. Definitely pride. I was very proud of what I did, what we did, not just me, my mother and I, my brothers when they were there. I also have a sister. I was very proud of her when she showed up and she helped when she saw how busy we were. But for me, it was a different type of pride. It was like, I own one of the best Lebanese restaurants in all of New York City. It was like that type of pride. So I guess that's why it was so hard to let go of it. And that's what was the best thing about this journey for me. I learned how to humble myself. You know, I've learned a lot along my journey. I'm just glad I landed on my feet. What do you think is one of the biggest lessons you've learned along the way during your career change journey? So I felt like even though it was like 11 and a half years for me over there, it felt like 20 years because of how much work had to be accomplished on a daily basis. It only took me opening my eyes and looking at it to realize it, that there's a much easier way 
to basically live and work. As far as changing careers, it's very scary, but it can be done. I really hope that people that are on the fence about it, even if I could just convince one person to give a shot to something else that they've had their eye on, I feel that this chat of ours would be extremely successful because it's scary. It's hard. It's so many different emotions go through a person from finances to fear, to pride, to sadness, to anger, to resentment. There's just so much going on when you're changing a career because that's just the way it is. I, I guess I got too comfortable. We get too comfortable doing the same thing in and out. Well, speaking of changing careers, can you tell me a little bit more about what Schofield Realty has been doing to grow their team? And I understand that they, they offer a special program to people who are interested in learning more about real estate. Schofield Realty, it's owned by Kirby Schofield and his, uh, he has his wife Beth there as well. He's giving scholarships out to people that have lost their jobs due to the pandemic. And he's giving them a scholarship to basically go to real estate school, start their training, and then he'll have a position waiting for that individual at his brokerage. I really respect that. Honestly, I'm very proud to be a part of that team. Well, that's great to hear. It sounds like a great, great program and very generous offer to those who have been either laid off during the pandemic or making a career change during this time. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Yusuf, for telling us more about your former life as a restaurant owner, your transition, and what you had to do to move on to something new. So best of luck with your new career as a realtor and also with your new life there in Las Vegas. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. So I hope you heard some useful insights from Yusuf about the emotions involved with walking away from your established career and what's involved with leaping into an entirely new industry. Now it's time to wrap up with today's Mental Fuel, where I'm going to address a listener question about whether your next career move should be one that's practical or aspirational. Before we get to today's Mental Fuel, I'd like to thank Grammarly for supporting this episode of Career Relaunch. Built by linguists and language lovers, Grammarly's writing app finds and corrects hundreds of complex writing errors so you don't have to. And as a Career Relaunch listener, you can download Grammarly for free by going to getgrammarly.com slash relaunch. This is the part of the show called Mental Fuel, where I finish the show with a brief personal story related to one of the topics we covered today and wrap up with a simple challenge to help you move forward with your own career goals. And for today's Mental Fuel, since we're talking about making some tough choices in your career, I wanted to address this question from Megan in Columbus, Ohio. Hey, Joseph. I'd always planned on becoming a copy editor and proofreader, but I wanted to get some other experiences under my belt first. Um, I've mainly worked in event planning and fundraising so far. I recently decided that I wanted to build a freelance career versus working full-time long-term so I can have more flexibility in my life. I started a freelance editing business in early 2020, but my husband and I are not financially ready for me to make the leap into fully freelance life. I need to keep working full-time for now while continuing to build a client base for my business so I can drop the full-time work in a couple of years. I want to move over into full-time editorial work, but because I don't have the type of experience many of the jobs I'm applying for are requiring, it's been really challenging to make progress. 
Most of my experience is in nonprofits and fundraising, but my passion and talents lie in editing, especially now that I'm building a related business on the side. Should I focus more on nonprofit jobs like the one I have now, knowing I'll have a better shot at those positions and there'll at least be a slight improvement from my current situation? Or should I hold out for the job I want? Should I be trying to do it all, work in a full-time job, start a business and apply for both fundraising and editorial jobs? Or is there a better way to move forward without sacrificing my energy and free time? Um, I know every situation is really different. So if there are certain factors I should be considering, that would be great. Thanks so much for all you do. Okay, Megan, thanks for your question. So first off, this situation you're describing about needing to maintain your full-time job while continuing to build a client base for your side business is one I can definitely relate to. I was actually in a very similar situation when I was working full-time in the corporate world as a marketer while trying to get this independent career consulting business off the ground a while back. Not letting go of your full-time job until you feel fully ready to make the leap is the same approach I took. And one that works well for the vast majority of my clients. But I know it can be a tricky balancing act between being financially practical and at the same time aspirational in feeding your true interests. So I heard a couple questions in there. The first is about whether you should focus on trying to land your next role in an area more closely related to what you're doing right now, even though you aren't super happy in that role, or to hold out for a job you really want. The second question you asked is about whether you should try to do it all with that full-time job and side gig and applying to both types of roles, or if you should focus your efforts. So I've got three thoughts for you to consider, Megan, keeping in mind that this depends a bit on your exact situation and how much time you have before you need to make your actual next move. First, when considering whether to find a job that's closer to what you're currently doing instead of what you really want to do, I'd suggest you think about how much making a slight tweak to your job is going to truly change how you feel about your job on a day-to-day basis. So, for example, if you were to stay in the nonprofit world and continue to work in event management and fundraising, perhaps just a shift to a different organization or slightly different role could make a difference. But the question is, is that going to make a meaningful difference to your overall satisfaction? Or is it just going to result in you being in the same situation you're already in right now, yearning to do something else? If it's the latter, I'd recommend you at least aim for the job you really want, even if that takes you a little bit longer because your current job sounds like it's already playing the role of simply paying the bills anyway at least for now, so it can actually provide you with some stability while you look for something else. Second, if you do take another closely related job rather than the job you really want, you just have to jump ahead a bit and think about the long-term implications of further reinforcing your association with the nonprofit world rather than the editorial world you're trying to enter. Typically, as you accumulate more roles within a certain sector or function, your professional identity becomes a bit more tightly wrapped around that space, and it can become harder to then extract yourself from that arena later. For example, when I was trying to shift from consulting to marketing many years ago, the easier route would have been for me to just try and work for a pharmaceutical company because the consulting firm I worked for was closely associated with the healthcare industry. But it would have then been much harder for me to eventually move out of the healthcare arena later. So although it was harder to pull off, I put my eggs into the consumer packaged goods marketing arena 
knowing that if I could land a role there, it would ultimately and eventually open up more doors down the road to me doing more of the type of work I wanted to do. Just one more thing on this question of trying to do it all versus focusing your efforts. What you have to think about here is the amount of capacity and energy you have to spin a certain number of plates in your life, in your career. Now, I'm not saying it can't be done, and you strike me as someone who could probably pull it off, but there are only so many hours in the day, and you only have a finite amount of energy you can deploy each day. Even the most ambitious, accomplished, efficient people out there have limits. So I just encourage you to take an honest look at your situation and ask yourself how long you feel you should continue and also how long you want to continue doing both the full-time role and side gig. When I was doing both, I found it quite exhausting over time to the point where I eventually realized something had to give because I was just spreading myself too thin. That's a long way of me saying I'd recommend you focus to put a stake in the ground and decide what you will pursue and what you will not pursue, at least for now. This allows you to focus your energies and efforts. Also, when it comes to the job search itself, it also enables you to come across as a more focused candidate to hiring managers. And in general, focused candidates tend to cut through because it's easier to understand your ambitions and how you can then fit into the organizations you're targeting. So my thinking is that at some point, you'll need to eventually go all in with the editorial work you're doing only on the side or find a full-time opportunity that at least involves editorial work as a core responsibility, either in the nonprofit world or another sector that interests you more. Obviously, it never hurts to also apply for roles a bit closer into what you're doing right now, but for as long as you practically can, I'd try to devote the bulk of your energies to pursuing those opportunities that truly excite you because in the long run, I really think this is going to be the best strategy when you consider the long-term implications to your career. Just one more thing. Getting very clear with yourself on when you will take a certain action is also very important. For example, when will you feel comfortable walking away from full-time employment to fully dedicate yourself to your independent editorial work? Is it a certain amount of side income, a certain number of paying clients, or scope of projects? Or when would be a good time for you to try to pursue an editorial role instead of another fundraising slash event planning role if you don't do it right now? What are the specific conditions in your career and life that would have to be met in order for you to feel comfortable holding out for that ideal role? This brings me to a quote from Michael Nolan. There are many things in life that will catch your eye, but only a few will catch your heart. Pursue these. So my challenge to any of you thinking about changing course in your career is to get very clear with yourself on what specific metrics you'll use and hurdles you'll need to cross that will trigger you to pursue something else, to define where you'll draw that line. Will it be a certain number of days each week you truly enjoy your job versus dread your job? Or accumulating a certain amount of savings so you can feel comfortable weathering a temporary hit to your income? Or will it be something more personal? The number of days each week you can actually tuck your kids in at night? Or the amount of time you feel energized versus depleted? Decide what's important for you to have. And if you cross that line from your situation being acceptable to unacceptable, Make your bold move 
knowing that your transition may be an emotional one as Yusuf described earlier, but certainly one worth making. If you or someone you know has made a career change recently, I'm always interested in featuring people who are willing to share their honest, transparent stories on the show. Some of the best guests on this podcast have actually been listeners like you. So I'd love to hear from you at careerrelaunch.net slash voicemail, where you can leave a message and tell me what change you've recently made in your own career, or apply to be on the show at careerrelaunch.net slash apply. You can also visit careerrelaunch.net slash 73, where you can find highlights from my chat today with Yusuf and learn more about Schofield Realty in Las Vegas. Again, that's careerrelaunch.net slash 73. Thanks so much for listening to Career Relaunch and a special thanks today to Yusuf Salome for sharing his personal story with us today from Vegas. All of us in the Career Relaunch community wish you the very best in your new role as a realtor. This episode was mixed by Richard Pennington, electrocardiogram wrote and performed our original theme song. I'm Joseph Liu. I hope you remain safe and healthy wherever you are, and I'll talk to you next time.